We're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we're in 1 John 2, uh, verse 15 this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and in our church. And we do thank you for Awana uh, starting again this evening for the second semester. We pray you'd really bless the kids and give them a heart for you and for your word and to be able to have a great time in fellowship. Uh, thanks for all the teachers, Lord, that have volunteered. Would you strengthen them and give them a great uh, semester? Would you help us as parents just to walk with our kids through Awana as well? We thank you for the, the youth ministry, for junior high and senior high. And as they meet tonight, would you bless them and pour out your spirit upon them? And Lord, as we go through First John together, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would really bless it and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. One other thing that's kind of exciting is we've been praying about trying to equip young people uh, to lead worship, uh, and Jay has been investing in some junior high students and high school students, and they've got their first uh, little youth worship team in high school tonight, uh, so that was a big praise the Lord. I snuck up there and listened uh, during our worship time, and it sounded good, so praise the Lord for that, and can continue to pray for that. just want to see young people raised up to, to lead, lead worship, so that's awesome. Tonight we're going to be looking at love's choice. We're instructed in scripture uh, to give our love to the Lord and not to the things of this world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And love demands a choice. In the book of Genesis we see God giving a choice to Adam and Eve. He, he gives them the opportunity to choose to love him or to walk in disobedience by eating this uh, forbidden fruit. Now you think about your relationship with your spouse. It involves choice. Your, your spouse had the opportunity to marry you or not. There was a lot of other options and they chose to marry you and they choose to continue to be married to you and that's the expression of love. It, it's, it's choice. I was thinking about a choice today at lunch. I had the opportunity to choose between Quidoba and Chipotle. It was an easy choice. It was Chipotle. I, even though there's free guacamole at Quidoba, it was like Anybody with me on that choice? Yeah, Jared's not, so. <laughs> me. <laughs> and so there's always this choice that we're making uh, with, with our, our love. And I want us to consider tonight, is, am I loving the Lord or am I loving the things of, of this world? And we would like to give ourselves the hall pass on this and go, yeah, I'm, I'm loving the Lord. You know, my, my love is being directed towards the Lord, but this influence of the world system easily creeps in uh, to our hearts and our minds. There's three key words in the second half of First John 2, and it's the world, the Antichrist, and the anointing. And so we're up against the world, the Antichrist, but God's given us the anointing of the Spirit. So join me in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So God gives us a command here. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. It's clearly speaking not of uh, the cosmos, but of the world system that we'll see in verse 16. But we've got to understand here, it says that the love of the Father is not in us if we're loving the world. With our love, we have to be loyal. Jesus put it this way, you can not serve God and money. You'll love one and you'll, you'll hate the other. 
And it's the same with our, our love for the world and our love for the Father. Sometimes we think, well, I can love the world system and I can love the Father. But John's telling us, ultimately the Holy Spirit's declaring, if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. We have an illustration of this in the Old Testament. There's polygamy, right? God never instructed a polygamy, but some in the Old Testament practiced polygamy and it never went well, you know? And I've never met, you know, a woman that wants two or three husbands. It's always the man that wants two or three wives. So can I get an amen, ladies? <laughs> and here we find Jacob in the Old Testament, and he has two wives, Rachel and Leah. And the scripture tells us he loved Rachel and he hated Leah. And because of that, God closed the womb of, of Rachel and opened the womb of, of Leah. And all these polygamous relationships in the Old Testament, not only did it not work well, but there was always a favored wife. There was always one that had the affection of, of the husband, and that's because God's designed for our love uh, to, to be loyal. And how much more so with the Lord? You know, our, lo our love has to be directed towards the Lord, or the things of uh, this world. It's interesting when you study this in the original Greek, the, the word love is an imperative in, in the tense, which means that it demands action. You know, love's not a feeling or emotion. The Bible would teach us we get to direct where we choose to place our love. So it's not just being overcome and saying, well, I, I guess I love this thing, but love is a choice. Love is a decision that we make, either to give it to the Lord or to give it to the world. So verse 16, it says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So it describes this system, and this is the flow of the world, the mantra of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what is, what is that? What does that mean? What is the lust of the flesh? The flesh is our sinful desires and our sinful passions. And so the lust, it, it's where our sin desires to go, thinking this is going to satisfy me and fulfill me. And the lust of the eyes is what I see, I've got to have it. And my eyes demand to, to have it. The pride of life is a little bit more uh, deceptive because this is what other people think about us, our status. We want people to, to think well of us. And in scripture, Satan uses these three things to tempt God's, God's people. It's like a football team only having three plays. We think of the Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles that'll be playing to see who goes into the Super Bowl. And let's just say the Vikings, because they're the, the team of, of, the, of the hour, <laughs> is what if they only have three plays? What if they're going to run to the left, run up the middle, and throw a few screen passes? And those are the only plays they have for the whole entire game. They would probably lose, but they are the Vikings, so they might pull it out of their hat at the last minute. Satan has only three plays against us. If we can understand that he's going to attack us through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So I want to take a moment to look at this. We're going to turn to Genesis 3 and also to Matthew chapter 4. In Genesis 3, we see Eve attacked with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is Genesis 3. Let's start in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than all of the beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Getting her to doubt the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat nor shall you touch it. Adding to the command of God. God never said you shouldn't touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For the Lord knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, I gotta have this. Why is credit card debt doing so well? The lust of the flesh. I read an article this week that Credit card debt is an all-time high for, for Americans. So even as the economy has recovered and things are getting better with jobs and a little bit better with wages, uh, credit card debt is out in front of that. So what's the temptation of credit card debt? I don't, I don't have the money, but I've got Visa in my pocket. And my flesh is telling me I can't wait. And this sale is telling me I can't wait, right? This is the opportunity of a lifetime. I, I've got I've to buy this. And that, that's how powerful the lust of, of the flesh is. So she saw this, and it was good for food. That it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. It looks so good. And the tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. Who wouldn't want to be like God? Who wouldn't want to have their, their eyes opened? So she... To make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The three plays worked. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I think of it like a mousetrap. So the old school mousetrap. You pull back the executioner. (laughs) And I have found if you take a Tootsie Roll or a caramel, not cheese, because if you put cheese there, these mice have evolved, not really, but they can get the cheese and the trap doesn't close. But if you chew up a little bit of caramel or a little bit of a Tootsie Roll and you put it in there, it's sticky enough that sure enough, it is the lust of the flesh for the mice. I mean, it is the perfect combination of sugar and they can't say no. And it's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the smell, right? And then before you know it, here, they're eating on this caramel, and bam, what a way to go. At least they go on a high note. If, you're, if you gotta go, go with the caramel in your mouth. <laughs> and a lot of times as, as believers, as child of, children of God, we, we know Adam and, and Eve, their intention was right, their desire was right to obey God, but yet they got pulled into to the sin, didn't they? They got pulled into the, the love of this world and all of a sudden, bam, the consequence comes. Satan also tries this with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. So turn with me over to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is in the wilderness, Matthew 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Lust of the flesh. 
hey, go ahead and use your power to provide for yourself and, and end this fast. You can't live without this bread right now. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, the top of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. If you are the son of God, the temptation of the pride of life. You know, if you really love the Lord, if you really are who you say you are, then you need to go ahead and, and do this thing. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, the lust of the eyes. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. So how did Jesus combat the world system, the temptation, the word of God? And he quoted it out loud. Even deeper than that, I want you to think about this a little bit deeper. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, being led there by the Spirit, and he's meditating upon the Word of God. So he's loving the Father. He's loving the Father with his heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Word of God is in his heart. So when he comes to this moment of temptation, he's able to have victory. For us to overcome the world and not loving the world, it's by having a really good offense. Our offense is our best defense, and that's to love the Lord. Haven't you found that to be true? When we're loving the Lord, when we're giving him our heart, saying, Jesus, I love you. I want to honor you. I want to live for you. And really taking time to, to make sure that our love is put in its proper place with the Lord. Then when we are exposed to the lust of the eyes, when we are exposed to the lust of the flesh, when we are exposed to the pride of life, we're, we're much more quick to be able to say, no, this is a threat to my love for the Lord. And so, so Jesus was loving the Father, meditating upon the Word, so he was ready for this moment of temptation. Let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then we'll get back to, to 1 John. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It brings up the world as, as well. Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Could we define that as love? Could we define that as, as love the Lord? Love him with everything that you are. Be a living sacrifice. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you're loving the Lord, you're rejecting the world system, not being conformed to this agenda, meditating upon the word of God, having our minds transformed, and we know the will of God. Could you maybe identify in your life an area where the lust of the flesh is getting you or the lust of the eyes is getting you? Are you getting any false advertisement that says, if you only had this, you would be happy or you would be satisfied? Is there somewhere where the pride of life 
has sold us the wrong bill of goods where we're thinking, I've got to be recognized. I've got to have status. And to say, I've got to reject this. I've got to not be conformed to the world and not love, love the world. So how would we combat these things in particular? Uh, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. When we look at the lust of the flesh, Paul wrote and he said, don't allow my body to have mastery over me. So I'm saying, no, flesh, you don't rule. Spirit rules. The spirit of God rules in my life. The lust of the eyes, David wrote, said, I will have set no wicked thing before my eyes. I'm gonna choose to put holy things before my eyes. The answer to the pride of life is to humble ourselves and to serve as Christ served. Was Christ concerned with the pride of life? No, he was concerned with being a humble servant before the Father. So let's look at verse 17 of 1 John 2. And the world is passing away and the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The world, its system, its lust is passing away. This thing that I can't live without, this reputation that I'm working so hard to maintain and achieve, it's gonna pass away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So here's the trade-off. If we choose God's will, that has eternal fruit, eternal substance, and eternal value. But if we choose to love the world, we're putting ourselves in an endeavor of something that's gonna pass away. Jim Elliott was a missionary in South America, and ultimately he lost his life. He was killed for his love for Christ. And he, as a young man, he had a lot of talent. And many people ridiculed him for going to the mission field and said, you could make a lot of money as a businessman and give that money to, to other missionaries. And he said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He says, I'm not a fool to give up what I can't keep to gain what I, what I can't lose. That's a man who's living for the Father. That's a man who's living for the, the Father's will. Where are you placing your love tonight? What is it that really gets you out of bed in the morning? And can you say, I'm loving the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? In verse 18, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. John loves to encourage the church as little children. He cares for them. He, he loves them. And he says, it is the last hour. So here we have John the disciple believing that he lived in the last hour, that he lived in the, the last days looking for the coming of Christ. So how much more so for us are we living in the last hour? And he says, this is the reason it's the last hour because the Antichrist is coming and also many Antichrists have already come. So when we look at this verse, we see that the Antichrist is a person that's coming in the future. And we referred to this a lot in our Daniel study. We see the Antichrist referred to in 2 Thessalonians, also in Revelation chapter 13. He's going to come on the scene during the tribulation. The Antichrist is against Christ, but also in replace of Christ. I want us to understand that. Because that's the ultimate rejection of Christ, is to be against him, but then to say, I'm going to replace him. But also our text lets us know that antichrists are on the scene. Not this future antichrist, the one and only antichrist, but miniature antichrists, if you would. That deny Christ and want to replace Christ. 
In 1 John 4, it tells us this. In verse 3, we'll get there in a few weeks. And every spirit that doesn't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the spirit is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. So the spirit of the Antichrist, rejecting that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that Jesus Christ is not God, is already at work in, in the world. So we have the person, the Antichrist, we have the miniature Antichrist, and then we have the spirit of the Antichrist that all points to the last hour. Church, can you see this alive and well today? Yes. When, when you think of our culture, our society, you can bring up pretty much anything but Jesus Christ, can't you? You know, you can talk about all kinds of craziness and sin and wickedness that you did over the weekend, but when you go to work on Monday morning and you start talking about Jesus and worshiping Christ and him being the only way for salvation, really quickly there, there becomes a resistance to, to Jesus Christ. And so John's saying this is in play right now. This, this is taking place right now. We have the, the world system, but we also have the Antichrist that is rejecting Jesus Christ as God. In verse 19 they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have not continued with us. But they went out, that they might be manifest, that none of them were of us. What's interesting here is John is talking about false teachers that are rejecting that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And he said, hey, they were among us. They were amongst the people of God. They were hanging out with the church. And by all indications, everybody thought they were sheep. But in reality, they were wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's where deception gets much more dangerous. Because we expect people to be rejecting Christ out there. But sometimes people will come inside of the body of Christ and they'll have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, God in human flesh, and they'll begin to try to propagate that message. That's different than somebody coming into the church that is searching and longing and doesn't know who Christ is. I mean, that's what the church is all about, amen? And, and, but this is someone who's coming in who, who says, man, they, they were uh, among us, but now they're not among us anymore, and it's manifest what their true colors are. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits, and one of the fruits we should be looking for is a person connected to the body of Christ and accountable to the body of Christ. And as someone has more responsibility and spiritual influence, I think there should be even a greater level of accountability. There should be even a greater level of connectedness to uh, the body of Christ. If you hear somebody that talks down the body of Christ and doesn't want to participate with the body of Christ, you should be examining their fruit because Jesus is all about the body, isn't he? He, he loves his church. He says this is, is the bride of Christ and he knows that we're fallen and we're not perfect, but Jesus remains committed to uh, the, the body of Christ. And so one of the things that John points out is saying they, they've left fellowship, they've left accountability, and now their true colors are beginning to show and we're able to know them by their fruits. So we have the world, we have the Antichrist, but then we have the anointing in verse 20. 
but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And this anointing speaks of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we'll see that as we continue in our text. And the Holy Spirit helps us to know truth and to be able to identify error and lies and this spirit of the Antichrist. In verse 21, I have not written to you because you did not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Catch this, John is writing to people that know the truth. He's writing to believers that are plugged in, and he's saying, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you do know the truth. So just because we know the truth doesn't mean that we're immune from loving this world. Does that make sense? John's saying, hey, you know the truth, but be careful that you don't love this world. Be careful that you don't find yourself in the mousetrap of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You know the truth, and be careful that false teachers and the spirit of the Antichrist doesn't creep into your heart and mind. Maybe it creeps in in a really subtle way, and you've started to find yourself not appreciating Jesus that much anymore. And when people talk about Christ and who he is and his miracles and the gospel, you kind of hit snooze zone a little bit. And you go, you know, I've got that Jesus thing down. I'm ready for the next level. Church, there's no next level beyond Jesus. Amen? Amen. Like, he is God. He is all. He's our Savior. And we need to be careful in our hearts that maybe we're not starting to to drift away from from Christ a little bit. And so he's saying, I'm writing to you because... You do know the truth. And in the truth, there's no lie. And that that seems like common sense, doesn't it? So if it's the truth, there's not going to be a lie. But many of the cults and the false religions have 90% truth, 95% truth, and then 5% lie. And it causes great destruction. And those lies will normally be centered around Jesus Christ. Him being God, him being equal with the Father, him coming in in human flesh. Mormonism does not believe that Jesus is God. Jehovah's Witness do not believe that, that Jesus is God. And yet they put this wrapping, oh, we love Jesus, but you have created a whole another Jesus. The Mormon church is in the news this week because their prophet passed away, and yesterday they named a new prophet, And what they teach from their scriptures is their prophet can speak for God. So that they put the prophet on the same level as the written word of God. That's extremely dangerous, right? And they'll tell you not all the time that he speaks that he's speaking from God. But if he gets up and says, this is from the Lord, they're to treat that with the same level as as the word word of God. And so what's so deceptive about the cults is that there's so much truth with just a little bit of a lie, right? And then you find a great danger in that. In verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So God calls someone a a liar if they deny that Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ means Messiah or anointed one, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Always run through the filter of someone's teaching or a movement, what do they believe and teach about Jesus Christ? Because if they deny that Jesus is the Christ, 
then they have this spirit of the Antichrist. They, they've denied the Lord. In verse 23, whoever denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. He who acknowledges the, the, the Son has the Father also. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. Jesus made that very clear. And here the scripture says, if, if you deny the Son, you do not have the Father. And there's some people that will say, you know, I, I really appreciate Jesus, but I don't like the Father. He just seems too harsh in the Old Testament. and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Jesus. And well, what does the scripture say? Well, if you have Jesus, you have the Father. And then others would go, I, I really like the Father, but I don't really like Jesus. You don't get to pick and choose, right? They're God, the distinct persons, but yet one God. And it says, if you deny the Son, then, then you don't have the Father. But then the glory of verse 23 is if you accept the Son, you have the Father. You've been accepted by the Father, and you have relationship with the Father. In verse 24, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. In the last few verses of this chapter, the word abide is used several times. It's three times just in this verse. We're challenged to abide in what you've heard from the beginning, and we find the word therefore, which means it's connected to the thought prior. In light of the fact that there's people denying Jesus, we're encouraged to abide in what we heard from the beginning. What did we hear from the beginning? Jesus is God. Jesus died for our sins trusting the gospel. And so the encouragement here is continue to dwell in the gospel. The word abide means to dwell. Continue to believe the gospel. Continue to believe that Jesus is God. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard lest we drift away. So I've heard this and I need to pay attention to what I've heard. I need to continue to abide and what I've heard from the beginning. And this is part of finishing strong and finishing well, of trusting the gospel at that moment of conversion, but now continuing to trust the gospel at this point in the journey and trusting the gospel on our last breath. I know this, Jesus Christ is my savior. I know this, that he's God. I know this, that he died for me and I'm a sinner and I'm trusting in Christ. And that's what John's encouraging here. He's saying, keep going, keep abiding, keep dwelling in Christ. And if you do this, you'll abide in the Son and you'll abide in the Father. What a great promise. As we trust in Christ and who he is, then we're abiding with Christ. We're dwelling with Christ and we're dwelling with the Father. And what results is the promise, verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised to us eternal life. As we abide in the gospel, as we trust in the gospel, then we're promised eternal life. Thankfully, Jesus liked to make things crystal clear. I mean, what if the issue of salvation wasn't made crystal clear and it was left fuzzy and static? John 3, 16, we know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There it is, dwelling in the gospel. As you believe in the Son, then you have everlasting life. And this is the promise that God is, has given to us. Doesn't everlasting life just continue to sound better and better? You know? Maybe you're having a bad week. 
2018's not off to a good start. It's been a rough year as you look back on 2017. And they'd be able to look forward and go, I, I have everlasting life. I'm going home to be with the Lord. He's preparing a place for me. That's what I'm looking forward to. Not getting caught up in the world system, but I'm focused upon eternal life. In verse 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. If I'm honest, I, I don't think a lot about people out there that want to deceive me from a belief in Christ and from, from the word of God. Um, maybe I'm just uh, too, too naive, right? Uh, it's not one of the things that comes to my heart and mind first, first and foremost. But verse 26 says, John's writing this because there's people out there that are trying to deceive you. And that has to be true for us today as well. We've got to come to understand that we are in a spiritual battle. And if we're in a spiritual battle, what is one of the biggest ways for us to have a setback or defeat, to be deceived? If the enemy can't get us from a full frontal attack, how is he going to try to get us, to deceive us? And what is the primary way that he would want to deceive us? What we believe about Jesus Christ, who we believe Jesus to be, and who Jesus has, has said that, that, that he is. And so we have to understand that that spiritual deception's out there. Do you know that nobody can read your Bible for you? You know? It's, that's crazy talk up in here, up here in Rocky Mountain Calvary, you know? But you, you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll, we'll give you one at the door. They're, they're there for you to take as, as a gift. And we're so blessed to have access to God's word and the and the ability to read. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And as John is writing this, he's saying, hey, wake up. There's people out there that are trying to deceive you from what is most important. Make sure you know the truth. Make sure you're in the word of God. Make sure you're allowing the Holy Spirit to use the word of God to keep you from, from error. We should be at a place in our spiritual maturity as individuals where we can spot a lie. We can go, hey, wait a second. That doesn't line up with scripture. That doesn't line up with who I know Jesus to be. You don't have to understand all the cults and all those type of things, but to be able to say, yeah, I can pick out a lie. And the spirit of God is gonna begin to identify things. You're gonna go, wait a second. Something's not right here. You know, usually when someone's trying to sell something too hard, it's like, look into it a little bit deeper. If they're overly complimenting you, look into it a little bit deeper. You're like, I look in the mirror. I know myself, right? You know, if they think that they're the only ones that have the understanding, look into it deeper. You know, when they start telling you, man, if I've noticed you're really serious about Bible study. You come on Wednesday night. And you know that as pastors at Rocky Mountain Calvary, they sure like to talk about Jesus, but when you're ready for a deeper understanding, come to my Bible study, right? You know, it's, it's that kind of attitude, and it's a lot more deceptive than that, you know, but it's like, hey, this, this group is the really commit, committed group, and to be able to say, I, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, I'm listening to the Word of God, I can identify someone who's trying to deceive me. In verse 27, but the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, 
And you do not need that anyone teach you, but at the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is, and is not a lie. And, is just, and just as it is, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So in the negative, we've seen the world and the Antichrist, but in the positive, we've seen the anointing, which points to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's living inside of you to help you to be able to detect a lie and to to know the truth. It doesn't mean that God hasn't given us pastors and teachers in Ephesians 4 that's laid for us out in Scripture, and, and God uses pastors and teachers to help us understand, but it's secondary to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your ultimate teacher that's leading and guiding you uh, in, in truth. And the Holy Spirit will identify those lies when we're exposed to them. In verse 28, and now, little children, abide in him. So here we see it again, this, this constant theme of dwell in him, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know who's gonna be ashamed at Christ's coming? Is those that have denied his existence, those that have replaced Christ, Those that have said, Jesus is not God, Jesus did not come in the flesh, all of a sudden, they're gonna be ashamed and they're not gonna have confidence. If you continue to dwell in the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection, believing that he's God, when Jesus appears, you're gonna be confident because you're trusting in Christ. You're not trusting in your own works. And you're like, Jesus, I've been looking forward to you coming and I believe who you are. And so keep dwelling in the Lord. Keep walking with the Lord because as you continue to trust in the Lord and walk with the Lord, when Christ appears, then you have confidence and you don't have to be ashamed at his coming. In verse 29, if you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Righteousness is a fruit of knowing the righteous one. As we trust in the gospel, we know Christ, and we know that he's righteous, then if we begin to practice righteousness, it's evidence of the fact that we're born of him. It's evidence of the fact that we are abiding in the vine. And as we abide in the vine, then fruit is produced in our lives. Three questions for us tonight. And the first is this, is what do I love? You know, what do I love? I think of Peter, and Peter made a bold statement to the Lord, and he says, even if these deny you, I will never forsake you. Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times, and that's exactly what took place. Christ was crucified. Peter gets frustrated and fed up and says, I'm going back to fishing, what the Lord had called him out of. And Peter, Peter responds, and, and in the Greek, Jesus is asking, do you agape me? And Peter responds and he says, I phileo you, which is, I, I like you. I, I have brotherly love towards you. I think Peter was humbled. He, he's like, I'm not gonna be too quick to say, to say that I love you. So then Jesus asks again, do you agape me? Peter says, well, I, I phileo you. And then the third time in the, in the Greek, Jesus says, do you even phileo me? 
And that's when Peter begins to weep. He was asked three times, do you love me? He denied the Lord three times. And at the end of that conversation, Jesus is basically saying, Peter, why don't you start liking me? Why don't you start phileoing me? And I'll use that to cause you to be a great pastor. And I want you to go feed my sheep. I want you to tend my sheep. And if we had a conversation with the Lord, and I've been wrestling with my own heart today, and just going, you know, am I loving the Lord the way that the Lord would desire? And I think most of us, you know, on this Wednesday night group, this is kind of the core of our church, we do love the Lord. That's why you're here. That's why you've made this sacrifice to be here. But yet there is a part of us as well where we wrestle. And the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it's very real, isn't it? And the Lord might be speaking to us tonight and saying, do you love me? Do you like me? And we need to get back to that place of loving and liking the Lord where he's captured our attention. He's captured our affection. We begin to pursue him out of love of, Jesus, I want to be near to you. Why would Jesus write to the church of Ephesus and say, you've left your first love? Because it's easy to do. Because if we're not careful, all of a sudden, we have drifted from the Lord and we've left our first love. And Jesus then speaks to the church and says, remember your first works. Remember when you were first in love with the Lord? What did you do when you were first in love with the Lord? Was it reading the word? Was it witnessing? Was it giving? Was it worshiping? For all of us, it was different, but go back to those first works. Remember and redo. Remember and redo. Maybe tonight we need to go back to that place of loving the Lord because loving the Lord is going to keep us from loving this world. We've seen it in our own lives and we've all known people who have been so strong in the Lord, used by God mightily, but somehow over time, the focus shifts and that love for Jesus diminishes and the love for the world naturally increases. The heart for the body of Christ starts to diminish. The desire to be in fellowship, the desire to be accountable goes away. And before long, you go, wow, wow, how did they end up there? That's how powerful this world system. I think of John, this old man in the Lord. How many people had he seen get lamb blasted by the world system, get destroyed by this false teaching of replacing Christ? Man, this teaching is alive and well today that, oh, you don't really need Jesus. Why are you going to trust Jesus? Why are you going to look to Jesus? You, you look to these other things to, to get, through, get through life. You can hear a lot of Christian teaching that never mentions Jesus. It, it's got a lot of principles from the word of God, but it's missing Jesus, you know? And before you know it, we've developed a Christian life that's not centered around Jesus. So where, where's my love? It's, wor- it's worth looking at. And returning to our first love, am I on guard for deception? in my life and in my family? And then uh, am I relying upon the anointing God has provided? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Have you given the the Holy Spirit the opportunity to teach you through the word of God? Have you given the the Holy Spirit the opportunity to identify lies and errors and 
and for him to start to peel back the onion and say, you know what? You're really believing a lie over here. You know, what, what you're believing in your marriage, what you're believing about your kids, what you're believing about your church family, what you're believing about yourself, it's, it's a lie. And the Holy Spirit's willing uh, to do that. When, when we look at the, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the word anointing is not something to take lightly. You know, when God anointed Saul to be king and anointed David to, to be king, and when he's anointed us with the Holy Spirit, that's a big deal. You know, that's a real gift that God has given to us that's able to combat the world and that's able to combat these lies if we'll be lis- willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's gonna be faithful to put up that warning light and say, hey, here, here's some deception. Here's a lie. And, and walk, in, walk in the truth. So let's pray together. Father, we choose to be humbled by your word. Um, and it, it is humbling how easy the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life creeps into our hearts and our, and our minds. And show us where we're loving the world. And God, would you also remind us of how much you love us. And would you awaken our love for you. And if we've drifted or left our first love tonight, may we return to our first love. May we start liking you again, pursuing you again, being passionate about you again. And as we take communion, may this be a a fresh time with you. May we be on guard to deception and the lies of the enemy and this teaching of replacing Christ. And also, Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. It seems it's been a theme for us this week on Sunday and Saturday and tonight. And thank you for the anointing that you've given to us. We just, we want to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond to what the Holy Spirit's teaching us. So would you bless this time of communion in Jesus' name, amen.